Hi, my name is Mary Spender, and you are listening to Tuesday, 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 Tuesday Talks. Hello, hello. This is still something to get used to sitting in my studio and actually just talking, not filming, and it is quite lovely. Um, and it's actually quite a nice informal way of sharing some updates. So this week I am releasing a new single. Uh, which is coming pretty quickly after uh, after um, Long Island City, but this is where I want to get to. I want to just be releasing music pretty much every three weeks, if not every month. Um, and yeah, like I need to do a music video, which I haven't finished, and it will be up online this Saturday. Like that's just going to happen. Uh, they are music videos are tricky because, like, in one way, I don't have the budget to do the things that I want to be doing but at the same time I don't want to have a budget because I like that limitation of just like what can I use how can I be creative you know I've kind of like focused my whole career on what I can do myself um so that I'm not delayed and I'm not worrying about things that I can't afford or you know whether something's gonna um sort of make back what I spent or something like that. And it's just those sort of things that musicians nowadays have to worry about. Like you have to worry about budgeting and um, when there isn't just someone throwing loads of money at you. But anyway, um, I'm going off topic. But yeah, so Primrose is going to come out this Friday. I'm really excited about it. I recorded the drums, as I mentioned in a past podcast, in like October 2017, which is embarrassing to admit. But um, it's going to be out this Friday. It's going to be out in the world did all the vocals and guitars in the studio um it's been mixed and it's been mastered and yeah it's ready for the world so I'm pretty excited as I said music video will be out on Saturday and then the next few weeks every weekend I'll just be uploading like um I'll do another uh solo version and I just have been lent the Oxbox by Universal which I think is literally going to change my life because right now I can hear seagulls. I can hear, (laughs) I can hear so many noises outside um, because the windows in my apartment are just not (laughs) soundproofed at all. And when it comes to recording guitars, there's a certain level you need to get to for it to be good enough quality. But that means that it's pretty loud and probably pretty upsetting to the neighbors. Although luckily I've never had any complaints, but the Oxbox allows me to crank my amps to 10 (laughs) so you can get everything working all the valves like get it as warm as possible and yet you can disconnect the speaker and then just like put the speaker into the oxbox i'm probably uh explaining this very basically um and then the oxbox straight into your door uh so i've got at the moment my um, interface has the first two uh jack inputs taken up with the oxbox and I can just leave it in there and I can just record at 10 and it just sounds incredible. And also you can cab sim as well. So I haven't even got the app working yet. I need to update my laptop, but there are some presets on it and oh my God. And you can like incorporate room noise into it and they've modeled loads of things. This isn't an advert, by the way, I'm not even being paid to do this, but I, I'm just really excited about where I'll be able to get with recording guitars just in this room. And I probably need to figure out vocals. And and uh, I got some DIY advice about, um, you know, sort of setting up a little booth 
within my studio and just using like this little cupboard that I have. Um, anyway, these are all just the things that are going through my mind right now, but Primrose will be out. I'm really, really excited. I really, really hope you enjoy it. I've given you a little sneak peek uh, to the instrumental version. I'm also planning a bit of a collaboration video, but need to do some of the admin behind that. Um, and yeah, that will be out. I mean, I will be shouting about it all weekend. Um, but this past weekend, what did I get up to? It was Pride here in Brighton, which was fabulous and very glittery. Um, I still am finding glitter all over my flat, just from a top that I was wearing that just sprayed glitter, which was really, really fun. Um, and I did a bit of a social media detox, which uh, it's kind of hard to admit that I need that because I love my job and I get to create what I get to create and I have no one to answer to and I can just upload when I want, do what I want, however I want. And I really find these platforms really, really creative and fulfilling and I love interacting. Um, but recently I've just realised that I've been using social media probably in the wrong way and I've been sort of possibly consuming too much rather than just um, putting out creative stuff and yeah just decided to take a little little break deleted all the apps off my phone I was just like I don't need to know how many likes a picture has got I don't need to upload every day um and I'm sure you guys all exercise this sort of willpower too but I just needed to needed to do that for myself and creative hack this is my new thing okay so phones are amazing in one way. I use them for songwriting. I record everything. I obviously use them for posting uh, to promote myself online. Um, I know that some of you see the pictures and stuff like that. And I really love using my phone as a camera too. But this weekend, I just, I switched it to grayscale. <laughs> I was listening to this podcast with this amazing comedian called Whitney Cummings. And she was uh, talking about how she turned her phone to grayscale. And it just means you just switch it to black and white and it's uh, on, on an iPhone. I'm going to I'm gonna talk you through it. If this is something that is desirable to you, I just kind of want to share it because some of you might think it's stupid, whatever. But it really has helped me um, find my phone less desirable <laughs> because there's no, there's no bright colours like distracting me. Even videos and everyone's social media posts are suddenly in black and white and they're just like it's just not as appealing um which i think is pretty healthy so uh you go if you if you're using an iphone sorry android users you might have to figure this out by uh looking online but um on iphone you go to settings then general then accessibility and then where do you go you go display accommodations and then color filters and you'll see loads of crayons um and yeah, you just, you switch to, you switch the color filters tab. I don't know how to describe that. Oh, I just got a, just got a method. I need to put my phone on silent. And then it says grayscale. And if you click grayscale, it just suddenly goes into black and white. And honestly, you realize like how little color you actually need because like people message you and that's just type. So you can just have that. Like all the other things I do, like listen to podcasts of my phone or check my emails, that doesn't need to be color. Um, and then when taking photos this weekend, I had a really great time just looking at, like, they're all stored in color, like everything is still there, all the information's there, just that when you're looking back at them, 
you can kind of judge the quality of the picture a little bit better because it's in black and white. So yeah, when I switched it back to colour just to look at the photos from this weekend and obviously it being Pride, it was like unbelievably colourful and beautiful. But it just made me realise like I was actually looking at the world in colour in real life. I wasn't just, I wasn't just like looking through my phone the whole weekend because it just wasn't desirable to. I wasn't there thinking, oh, is this a good image or um, do I need to post this right now? I just like deleted everything off and I'm probably preaching to the choir here. I think you all know uh, social media can be really tough, especially on creatives, because you can get distracted by what other people are doing. You might get a little bit envious and that's not great when you're trying to put out art. Um, so <laughs> I have rambled enough. I'm going to start introducing these interviews. I'm, I'm going to put together a series of interviews for you now, because if you haven't already, you need to, you need to watch um, this documentary called Hired Guns. I think it's called Hired Gun. Maybe one moment. <laughs> Let me just Google Hired Gun on Netflix. Okay. Incredible documentary. It's quite old now. It's been around for a while. I think it was came out in 2016. But I only watched it in March and it was pretty amazing to see two people who I've actually interviewed, um, which was Nita Strauss and Phil X. And then I've also interviewed a few other people um, who are, well, Tim Pierce, obviously legendary session musician, um, legendary, and then has a, an amazing YouTube channel too. And then Jen Majura, who plays most famously for Evanescence. Um, and I guess she's not really so much like a hired gun now. She is very much part of the band, but I thought it would be interesting to put all these four interviews together. The audio quality is not as good as you're hearing right now because um, they were shot on the go. Um, so some of it is a little bit hissy, so forgive me. Um, but here is the first interview with Phil X. And uh, he actually almost made me cry in this. Um, and I feel like I captured something different from other interviews that he's done and he revealed himself to be very sensitive and um just like a really powerful guy like he is doing this massive massive gig but uh, he appreciates every little performance he does like when this was filmed we were at gitcon in October 2017 and every night he was playing on that stage just to you know 20 people and he was giving it as much soul as I think he would on stage with Bon Jovi and that kind of taught me a lot and I also had the honour of playing a song with him which is kind of crazy we did a, a version of blues duet and anyway here is my Tuesday Talks with Phil X. To see you rock out and play the way you play live in such an intimate setting was also awesome. Well, because I believe it's if it's 50,000 people like last Saturday in Sao Paulo with Bon Jovi or 20, 28 people at the <laughs> music hall at, and Mark, Mark Nui Christian, uh, it's always give it your best, give it your all, give it Absolutely. 100%, yeah. 120%. Um, because you broached on the subject, can we talk about Bon Jovi? Anything you want to talk about? Because that is absolutely insane and um, must be incredible. And I've seen the, the 
the gig rig rundown. Wow, yes. And a lot of guitars. I'm very lucky to be playing. Oh, yeah, this signature. is the, the, I, it's, I call it on the tour. I mean, I've always played this guitar, but on the tour, it's, uh, it's the This House Is Not For Sale guitar. It's the opening song guitar of the show because it's tuned to 440, and every other song is in E flat. Wow. Or on a baritone or something like that. But the funny thing is that this guitar loves 440. It loves it. Like the green guitar that a lot of people talk about, that loves E flat. Hi. So I take this when I'm going to go play in 440. Mm -hmm. That's a little tech talk right there for how did How did it come about? Can you just... How do you get approached? 440? I don't know. I, I wasn't there. <laughs> no, not 440. Okay. The Bon Jovi um, gig. Well, it's a, story. It's, it's a very... Um, it's a very Cinderella type uh, situation um, mixed with the, since the beginning of time, the show must go on value, mm -hmm. you know. It's uh, a band in trouble and they need a guy and they called me. Um, why they called me was uh, John Shanks, the producer who produced a whole bunch of Bon Jovi records before, um, I mean since uh, Have a Nice Day I believe. And I, at the time, I mean, everything happens with the timeline. And the timeline in this case is John Shanks starts watching a bunch of my videos on YouTube. And then I ran into him at a studio in, in Henson in Hollywood. And he just came up and he goes, you're a funny motherfucker. And I'm like, what? He goes, I couldn't stop watching your videos last night. And it sounds like you can play and sing anything. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. Because, you know, you've done some amazing things in, in your career. So thank you. And then, uh, so that's, that was the beginning of our friendship. But two weeks later, he called me and he said, hey, I think I have a gig for you, but I can't tell you what it is. So can you come by my studio tomorrow? Like, you couldn't tell me on the phone, sorry. And I was like, well, that's, sure. And I, and I show up and he's like, this is what it is, and you're going to be on hold, so they need you to learn the show. Wait, I go, what? No audition? No nothing? He goes, no, you get the gig. And you have to learn a two-and-a-half-hour show and be ready to go at the drop of a dime, or you might not get called at all. <laughs> Done, okay, I guess. And it's an awkward thing, because I, I personally have uh, an issue with... Uh, replacing, or not replacing, but filling in for a guy who's been there from the beginning and co-wrote all the hits and has a, has a big part of the sound mm -hmm. and the writing and all that stuff. So I have an issue with that in my life anyways. But if the show must go on and you got to have somebody, I'll, I'll be that guy. Yeah. So and that's basically how it happened. That's incredible. And so when did you get called up for the first time? Well, that, that's a funny thing. It's odd to me because it was simply, besides John Shanks, it was lawyers and managers and agreements mm -hmm. and, and statement and confidentiality because nobody can know. Yeah. You know? Um, it was oh. April 14, 2011. I got a call from New York, unknown number, didn't answer it. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, I get up, check the message. Hey, Phil, it's John Bon Jovi. Please call me. <laughs> I'm like, what the? This is happening now. <laughs> and then, um, and that was 2011, the first time. So, and John, so I called John and we talked, and he said, Hey, uh, I'd like to fly you to New York to rehearse with the band for a couple of days and put you on hold for May. And I'm like, Okay, cool. I'm on hold for May. Mm -hmm. 
well, at least I'll get paid for two days. <laughs> and then, so, if, but ironically enough, when I flew to New York, um, Richie checked into rehab. So it went from, we have a show in three days in New Orleans at the Jazz Fest in front of 50,000 people, and you're going to probably be doing that. And I'm like, okay, so that was the first show, and then I did another 12 shows, and, and then Richie came back. So I, I, I felt like it really, um, with Richie coming back, it just felt right. Yeah. Like, fine, the band needed help. I did 13 shows. Richie's back. All is the way it should be. Mm-hmm. And that felt fine. Mm-hmm. And then two years later is when I got the call that was, we need you tonight. And I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, I, I haven't played a song by you guys in two years. Right. And, well, you're the guy, so come and do it. And I missed the first night in Calgary because there was a jet, a jet issue. And, it, and then there was a fast jet that I was going to take and would have made the show, but it was broken. So they put me on another jet that was slower, so it landed. I jumped out of the van, and it was, thank you, good night. And I was kind of relieved because, you know, they're like, as soon as you get there, you got to jump on stage. I'm like... What, what, what are we talking about So here? what did they do? Uh, oh, well, they have a, a, a utility, um, Bobby Bandera, who's amazing, great mm-hmm. singer, great player. He's been the utility guy, uh, auxiliary guitar parts and vocals since 2006. Mm-hmm. So um, that night when Richie didn't show up, it was John. John had to play guitar all night, which he's not crazy about because he likes to front the band. But it was John and... Bobby splitting up the parts and Bobby doing all of Richie's solos and stuff like that. So they made it to the show. But the next day, you know, was, which was perfect for me because you get to do a, you know, a lengthy sound check. What songs do you want to run? Because you're on tonight. And yeah. I was, okay, I want to do this and this and this and this and this and this. Okay, now I feel ready. And then bang, 20,000 people in an arena. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. But you describing it as a Cinderella story is also like well, it's, really it's magical. Funny. I, it is a magical moment. Um, like walking on stage and I still, I mean, because I, I grew up listening to Slippery One Wet and New Jersey. Bought mm. tickets to the New Jersey tour at in, when I lived in Toronto to the LA, no, to the CNE Grandstand, which isn't there anymore. Mm. So the history and me being completely blown away by the band and the, and the songs and holy shit and then if somebody would have said hey in 30 years it's going to be you up there I would have said fuck you (laughs) (laughs) don't pull my chain like that but you know it happened happened. and and then on top of that um, even after 100 I've done 140 shows and I still get goosebumps when I'm living on a prayer I, I truly believe it's one of the best rock songs ever written it's up there in the top 5 top 10 top 3 um, I just can't imagine the feeling because I've played that song in cover bands. Yeah. And, you know, like everyone has. Everyone everyone plays that song because it's such a crowd pleaser. It and really then is. To be the one. Because you're there, like, and then you're doing the. Yeah, the talk yeah. box. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. the talk box. I like, my arm hair stand up. Oh, God. Uh, I can't imagine that yeah. feeling because that's that's the song. That's that's like. It really, yeah. Oh, my God. Of generations. And to be playing it with the band. That yeah. must be. It's, it's pretty remarkable. And it's funny because I had, a, the first time I went in, in 2011, still going backtracking a little bit, I had a friend come up to me, and uh, a really good friend named George. And he walked up to me and he said, you know what, man? You getting the Bon Jovi gig 
was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what, what does that mean exactly? He goes, it made me think that anything's possible. You work hard, you bust your ass, yeah. and good things happen. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, you're totally right. And I think the idea that he saw you through the videos, that's just also incredible because you know, for me, making these videos and you know, putting yourself out there and just re suddenly realizing that anyone could be watching. Yeah, exactly. And anyone could find you. But even as a guitar... Being global. Even as a guitar fan, mm. like I've had people that I grew up listening to, other people, guitar players, guys in bands that I loved, come up to me and tell me that they love my videos. And I talked to some of these guys, like this is an amazing community mm. of YouTubers. It really is a fantastic thing that's happening at GitCon. And talking to these guys, I was talking to a guy at breakfast this morning, because yeah, we have breakfast together, and we're talking and he's like, I could name 10 YouTube shows that are modeled after what you did with Fred Americana. Mm. And I'm like, I'm not, I, I seldom watch these. Yeah. Um, now I'm going to, because I think everybody's so cool, you know? Mm. But I feel like we didn't have that goal. We didn't have a goal to pursue the numbers of clicks and followers and viewers and all that stuff. Our goal was just, let's have fun, you know, playing these guitars. Well, I actually think for, for the most part in the community here, I don't think anyone really thought about it. No one really thought it through. No one thought that they would be at this sort of thing right. because of what they had done. Yeah. Like, I, I, this time last year, I had very, I had a very, very, very small following. And I just, because it, it hadn't worked, it and it hadn't worked, it hadn't worked, and I just, I was just like, oh, well, what's the worst that could happen? Right. But um, as it grows, you get recognized. Yeah. As people go, hey, you're that girl. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? So it's an amazing it's an amazing thing because you're right, it's worldwide and you never know where your demographic is. Yeah. You really don't. I'm sorry, it sounds like I have a shaker. <laughs> That's all right. Jingle um, bells. So last night on the live stream, um uh, someone Hey, thanks for taking over the moderation. <laughs> That's all right. I we really needed a different it. uh <laughs> angle of the oh, heading. Um the the story about your uh, fangirl moment. Yes, but can you can we call it a fanboy moment? Fanboy moment. Sorry, <laughs> it's if I fangirl over someone, that's yes. legitimate. Yes. You fanboyed yeah. over. Well, maybe I fangirled a little bit. <laughs> you you uh, were in awe of walking into a studio for you know Chris Cornell. Yeah. Um, and. If you wouldn't mind, would you tell that story again? Because it was amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, oh, and thank you for saying it's amazing. But I, I mean, when you have a chance to, to record, like, I mean, I was I was a, a Motley Crue fan when I recorded with Tommy Lee. I was a Rob Zombie fan when I recorded with him. And you meet a lot of your heroes, and before you know it, you're playing with these guys, or even a drummer, Abe Laboral Jr. I saw him play with the American Music Awards with Paul McCartney, and I saw him play, and I watched him, and I was like, and then he pulled a mic over, and not only does it look like cymbals are falling over, but it's, he pulls a mic over and starts singing a background vocal to Helter Skelter, and I was completely, who is this guy? <laughs> and then I called my drummer friends, who's playing with Paul McCartney? Oh, it's Abel Boreal Jr. And then you get it in your head, I'm gonna play with that guy. 
And two weeks later, I get a call. Hey, we're doing a session. Are you available next Thursday? It's going to be you, Publishing on Bass, and Abel Borrell Jr. on drums. And I totally felt like I just created that. I need to yeah. harness that power. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I totally made it happen with a positive attitude and excitement. And there, there mm -hmm. it is. So I always wanted to play with Chris Cornell. Always wanted to, like, maybe not in a live situation, but to record a track or something. And he did an entire record with Timbaland. I'm going to embellish a little bit because we're not sitting on a panel. Yeah. But uh, I'll try to keep, still keep it short, though. And I always felt like he's one guy that his, just, his voice is so powerful and emotive and, oh, my God, mm. incredible. It would be great to record a track with him. And then that happened. It, I got the same phone call where it was, hey, well, we need to we're doing a Chris Cornell track on Sunday. And so I need to book you to do drums with Josh Freeze on Sunday. And then on Monday, you'll do guitars. And I was like, okay. So two days. So, but again, like I mentioned last night, Sunday, we're tracking drums. He didn't come. Monday, I tracked guitars all day. He did not come. And it's funny, cause, and it's also sad. When he passed, I threw that track on so I could listen to my guitar and his voice together. And it was an emotional thing. Like, you're getting emotional, too. I right? am. That just... <laughs> it's it's mind, kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God. Even the opening four bars leading to his voice, I really created a magical landscape to introduce his voice. And I, I swallowed that feeling of something incredible happened, mm. you know? So I'm done. I go home, the phone rings. Hey, can you come back tomorrow? At, uh, uh, you know, it's Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. Mm. Chris wants to be here when you do the solo. And now I can't catch my breath, mm. you know? So I come in, and I walk into the studio, and Chris is sitting on the couch, and that's enough of a fangirl moment where you're like, <laughs> right? So, but, and he's also sung the song. So I'm listening to his voice, my guitars, and his voice in the near-field speakers, just plugging in and tuning to lay down a solo. And that, in itself, again, mind-blowing, right? Mm. So then I just go... Oh my God, it's Chris Cornell, he's on the couch. How do you break the ice with a guy like this, right? A hero. How do you break the ice? So I'm thinking, okay, just, just be yourself. It'll happen. And, and seriously, this really went down. Like when I get into the studio and you see me how I solo on stage in front of people, that's what I do in the studio. I'm just, I'm playing from here and I'm letting it come out. And it comes out physically as well as, well as sonically. And so I'm going and it's, I'm rocking out. <laughs> And I look over at you know, they press stop after the solo, and I go, how was that? And he goes, it was great, but I think you need a little more game. And I go, but it looked good, right? <laughs> and he <laughs> laughed. And I thought, I broke the ice. <laughs> Yay, me. <laughs> Amazing. It was, an ama it was an incredible moment. It really was. Well, I think the title of this uh, of this video is going to be Phil X Makes Me Cry. Like, wow. that was, that was, yeah, because obviously, I think when he passed away, um, I was heartbroken. Like, well, and, and you know, you had the experience and you met him and you, you knew him, whereas, you know, me and so many other guitarists and, and oh, God, it, it was just emotional. It was just sad. It was just yeah, really, really sad. It really was. Um, and it always, it just, you just don't expect it to happen 
in the way that it did. Exactly. And and it's such. When shock, you think about the family thing and the wife and the kids and I know, uh, it's I know. just I, I I can't fathom. It's just yeah. absolutely heartbreaking. So yeah. let's try it and, and cheer on. us up right. <laughs> by jamming a little, if you wouldn't yeah, mind. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I can't believe I'm playing this guitar as well. It's oh, you're cool. playing my Framus. Framus, Framus. I'm I'm Framus. playing uh, this purple Panthera Two Supreme, which is stunning. And Mary is playing my XG. Yeah. The one that I played in Barcelona in front of 50,000 people with these strings on it so last sweating. Saturday. <laughs> There's sweat on it, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you for letting me play this. Well, thank you for um, playing it. But all right. Uh, thank you for watching this Tuesday Talks. Thank you so much for joining Tuesday me. Talks! Woo! <laughs> let's, uh, let's rock out a little bit. Just 
really crazy to have that. And that was so early on in my like interviewing career. <laughs> um, what a what a guy. I really hope you enjoyed that and the, the little casual jam at the end. Uh, next up is Nita Strauss. Um, again, forgive me, audio quality and all, but um, this was also recorded uh, on the move. This was at Gearhead University last year at Toman. And yeah, she also does show off her signature Ibanez guitar. So again, sorry, if you want to see what that looks like, if you haven't seen the video, it's up on my YouTube channel, just um, uh, Nita Strauss and Mary Spender. If you type that into YouTube, that should come up. But yeah, here is my interview with the stunning and incredibly talented Nita Strauss. So I am holding your beautiful signature Ibanez guitar. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? Yes, definitely. What came about? This is the Ibanez Jiva, my signature guitar. Uh, so the whole concept uh, that we did, I'm going to put it so that everybody can see it. I'll have mm -hmm. you hold it and I'll refer to it like a uh, right. Wheel of Fortune. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, basically the whole concept of the guitar is that uh, your guitar has a life of its own, has mm -hmm. a mind of its own. If your guitar is anything like my guitar, it ha thinks for itself and does what it wants to. So the name Jiva actually uh, is the Hindu word for uh, essentially like your soul. It's the part of you that lives on after your body is gone. Mm -hmm. So uh, so I hope that this guitar and the music that I make will live on and the music people make with it will live on. So that was basically the concept. Um, it's a uh, mahogany body, ebony neck and quilted maple top. You see going along with the uh, the guitar being its own entity, it has its own heartbeat. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> the inlay is called the Beaten Path. So you see that the spikes, it's like the heartbeat uh, EKG. Yeah. And this, the EKG corresponds to the dots on the fret. So it's three, five, seven, nine, twelve, and so forth. And of course, as you get higher up the neck, the heartbeat gets faster. <laughs> so when you do your solos, uh, it gets a little more your exciting. Your pulse is racing. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, and the pickups are my signature DiMarzio pneumonium mm -hmm. pickups. Uh, again, it's the first. Uh, it's the first signature guitar that Ibanez has done for a female artist, and okay. also the first uh, signature pickups that Demarzio has done for a female artist. So very, very honored. Oh my God, you're just paving the way. I'm just, so honest. We just got a bulldozer. We're like, we're going forward. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I understand that Larry Demarzio. Mm. Uh, helped you choose the, the, the top in yeah. terms of the, the color scheme. So we were talking, my boyfriend Josh and I were at lunch with Larry DiMarzio and we were talking about the pickups and the concept and he said, so what is the guitar going to look like? Mm -hmm. And my original concept was black, black on black on black because mm -hmm. I'm always wearing all black. I'm, you know, I'm not really so much of, you know, pink wearing or purple wearing. Yeah. I know you understand. It's a uniform. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so I thought, well, I just want trans black, trans black, ebony neck, just like simple, dark, sexy, you know. And Larry took a look at me, you know, wearing black jeans and a black top and a black leather jacket. He goes, well, look at you. Uh, blonde hair and, and black clothes. He goes, what about black and blonde? And it just kind of clicked. I was like, oh, this is because you never really see black, uh, trans black to natural maple. You know, no. it's not really, uh, really common, but it's so classic looking. It's not, you know, from the binding to the, you know, the kind of neutral color scheme. It's not like a super statement guitar. It's not like one of the pink jams or something where you go like, it's a pink guitar. That's yeah. a that's a that's a choice. <laughs> you know, yeah. like this is something that anybody from metal to rock to jazz to anything can play and look cool playing. Exactly. Which I think is really important. 
Do you think that's the trick with signatures to to allow them to continue have to have a life once you're, you know, done playing and oh definitely for them to just live on and look make at the it, gem. Yeah, you know the gem is. I mean, the, look at the Les Paul. The Les Paul is the original signature series. That's so true. And most people don't even know that it was it was for Mr. Les Paul. Yeah, you know they just think oh it's the iconic guitar. So, and the gem. And then hopefully the Jiva will will live on and and do great things after I'm done using it on stage. Did you learn anything in particular when coming up with this? Well, I learned that you can't use rosewood anymore. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Which I didn't want to anyway. You know, ebony is, you know, ebony and maple, I think, are, you know, far nicer fretboard materials to use. Mm. Um, you know, I've been designing this guitar in my head since I started playing the guitar. Mm. You know, most guitar players, you just think, oh, yeah, you know, I have this guitar, but if it only had a maple fretboard, or if it only had these pickups, or if it only had this, you know, reverse headstock, or you know, the matching headstock like we have here. and Yeah. Uh, so this was my way of just designing that guitar, if it only had these exact specs. And uh, the one that people can buy in the store is the exact same one I'll play on stage. It, there's no difference. There's no special custom shop model for me. This is... I could go into any music store in the world and grab this guitar and play it on stage, and it'll be exactly the same. Well, I have to put strap locks on it, but besides that... <laughs> like, besides that. Besides the tiny detail, Honestly, it. it's, yeah. it's so slick. It's cool, right? So and you see the back too. Uh, it's got purple heart, it's maple, nice oh, big wow. thick people piece of purple heart in the back of the neck. Yeah, which just uh, and it's it's thin too. It only weighs uh, seven pounds. Mm -hmm. The whole guitar. And you see, it's got the S series balance, so you don't actually have to hold it at the neck joint. You can just balance it right here, and there's no difference in the weight between the body and the neck. So, it's, wow. Uh, it's a nice guitar. So, um, in the way that it is slim and lightweight, does that allow for you? Because obviously, you pull some moves on stage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how you do it. It's it makes so it impressive. more fun. It makes it exciting because you never know when the strap locks are going to fail and the guitar just goes flying <laughs> in the crowd. That oh has God. never happened. It's okay. me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I see it on YouTube all the time. People send me the guitar fails. Yes. <laughs> the guitar spin fails because I do that trick so much. They're like, don't let this happen to you. It's never happened. It, well, it happened the first time I ever did it, actually. The first time I ever tried that guitar spin, uh, uh, it did happen. But after that, it was fine. I will be honest. When I was 13 years old and learning guitar, obviously, in my bedroom, I got my Pacifica 112, mm -hmm. put some strap locks on it, and then spun it around, and I smashed a light bulb. That's that's getting off pretty like easy. you got to try it in the backyard <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah, I know. I should not have done it indoors. Yeah. Backyard. Amazing. That's so... Right. You're working on a solo record right That's now. That's right. So we did a Kickstarter for mm -hmm. my solo record, Controlled Chaos. Um, and it was a modest Kickstarter. We didn't ask much. We asked for $20,000. And that was to cover the recording, the pressing of CDs, yeah. and the first uh, first leg of the tour. Which right. wouldn't really cover the whole tour, but at least, you know, would help me, you know, with a, a van or bus or, you know, or whatever. We'll be sharing transportation on the tour. So... You know, just a modest amount to cover the first things. And we hit that 20,000 in two hours. We hit the 30-day thir goal in two hours. And, uh, and that really showed me that people are willing to pay for music. You know, everyone always says, music is dead. This is, you know, people are, are only downloading and streaming music. No one's buying stuff. This proved, without a shadow of a doubt, that people will help support something that they want to support. You know? Yeah. I have a Spotify account. I have YouTube Red. Mm -hmm. Like I listen to a lot of music on there too. But if there's something I want to buy, I'll buy it. You yeah. know. And the fact that we raised six times the Kickstarter goal proves to me that people 
still are willing to put in, you know, it's $10, $20, all the way up to, you know, people bought my actual Jiva guitar mm -hmm. for, you know, so at, at every different level, people were willing to say, I support this and I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is and put a couple of my hard-earned dollars, you know, to help this become a reality. So it yeah. was amazing. Well, they're so willing to support an artist that they've, you know, watched and loved. So Yeah, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing to utilize it as a tool to be able to continue your craft as well. Yeah, it? I see a lot of people doing it with Patreon and, yeah, you know, yeah. different things. And Do you do the Patreon? I do do a Patreon. How is it? It's great. I can't so, believe it. For, for a small fan base that I have, um, and my, my low-level status. It's life-changing. Tell me, so tell, can you tell me a little bit about the Patreon? Like, so it's a bit like a Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. um, but it's ongoing. But it's ongoing. Okay. So it's a, it's, it's, you know, it's like a Spotify account. It's a subscription service. Um, and, and what kind of stuff do you post? So I, obviously, I do these episodes of Tuesday Talks. Okay, is this for Patreon? Uh, it's sort of related to Patreon so there's a the highest tier you can have your name in the credits of each oh, Tuesday cool. talk oh that's so, awesome so because not all of them obviously like they're not branded content it's just yeah, like yeah. you know me Very getting cool. to have conversations with interesting people or, totally. or talk about advice or things I've learnt um, so people get to support that really and then cool. you know sort of behind the scenes photos and little interactions and awesome. Q&A's and stuff so basically you're posting there instead of like your Instagram story or something yeah, but sort of using all of it. That's really cool. Yeah, it's That's super really interesting. Smart. And some of the guys here, you know, they really know how to look after their fans. So oh, I'm learning amazing. a lot by being at TGU. Yeah. We were talking about this as we were walking into the room, just like how much there is to learn here because this yeah. is like the, the community of expert YouTubers, you know, and I'm I'm pretty good on the other social medias, but YouTube is something I don't know much about and mm -hmm. Patreon, like the more paid, you know, the ways of actually making a living doing this is what I don't know about. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting seeing, you know, some of these guys here that create so much content and release so many videos. It's inspiring to me. It's a whole new world. And I think within two years time, it's going to be an entirely a completely different, different, yeah, world. different yeah. landscape. You know, same, same people, just whether the platform changes or whether everyone just gets bigger from events like yeah. this, we all help each other. Um, but so tell me more about the, the music. Have you written, you've written the whole album? I've written most of it. Most it's, of uh, yeah. So I had written a little less than half before starting the Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I've been in the studio in LA where actually it's a nice break being here in Germany, taking a break from the studio yeah. to come and work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's good. Uh, you know, working on instrumental music really gives me a chance to develop some skills as a guitar player that, I started to develop and then they took a back seat, you know, yeah. as a hired guitar player almost all my life, I've really like sort of put my own, you know, playing and the stuff I love to play in the back seat to learn Alice Cooper songs or Iron Maiden songs or Jermaine Jackson songs or whoever it is that I'm playing with. Mm -hmm. So uh, doing this is allowing me to go back and explore what I really wanted to do when I started playing guitar, which was play like Steve Vai and Satriani and... Vinnie Moore and Marty Freeman and Jason Becker and really just kind of like go back to what I love to play. So it's really, really been exciting. Well, and it's, you know, you're in such amazing company in terms of having a signature with Ibanez and all Definitely. those guys. So. It's still a dream. Like I can't, I can't even, it just actually went up on the website, I think last week, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was announced in January right now, but it just got announced. Like it just went up officially on the website and I saw my picture there next to everyone. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so, I almost made it the background of my phone, which is just like, Do it. just like, it's so surreal. It kind of goes to show you, you know, like the movie Rockstar, I reference this all the time, but 
if you work hard enough and you want it badly enough, dreams come true, and that's what happened for me, for sure. Uh, well, and you thoroughly deserve it. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for joining me on this Tuesday Talks. Tuesday Talks. Don't forget to subscribe and like this video, and uh, yeah, honestly, it's an honour. What an amazing human being. I actually had a really nice comment from uh, someone on YouTube who said that they had uh, met Nita Strauss recently at Guitar Centre, and I think they brought up my name to her and they said in the comment how she only had kind words about me and said that I really knew my stuff, which is hilarious because we all know that I'm <laughs> I'm always educating myself, but like there's a small percentage of knowledge that I have that, you know, but anyway, she was just so sweet to even, I don't know, just to hear that people are talking about you that way is really lovely and I can only speak about her in the highest of highest compliments as well because she alongside Jen Majura who I'm just about to play the interview they they were hanging out at Toman and they were so chill and you know you hear all these things about rock stars in general and you just realize like the really good ones the ones who have r real longevity are also incredibly nice people because they know that that's what gets them asked back. And also, like, that's just their that's just their personality. They don't need to be the rock star they are on stage uh, in real life. Because, like, that's a performance. They can rock out and they can deliver what the audience wants. But in real life, they know that just being a good human... Or I remember Mike Dawes was like, just be a good hang. <laughs> just always be a good hang. Like, be chill. <laughs> don't don't be an idiot don't try and prove yourself um anyway so super humble incredibly hardworking, very talented uh and the same words apply to Jen Majura too I saw her again this time around in Germany and we didn't get the chance to hang out as much as we did the year before but uh because she was being pulled left right and center by all these youtubers and uh collaborations but what a human being again. So anyway, here is my interview with Jen Majura. Tell me a little bit about what you're up to at the moment. Absolutely nothing but songwriting, which is really nice, to be honest. Great. Um, we've been touring with Evanescence literally since April last year, almost mm -hmm. nonstop. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm really happy to be home right now for almost two months, which yeah. is fabulous. Uh, we're right now in about to have like the last tour in the states mm -hmm. for the synthesis tour that we're doing and we've been to australia we toured europe and the states last year as well before that also south america and we've been on the road almost non-stop that's mm -hmm. how i feel it and um the cool thing about synthesis we released an album in november last year and it's two new songs which is imperfection and high low and all the other songs are renewed versions of older songs right. and we're touring with orchestra wow so that is something really amazing especially like my highlight on all those touring days was we played the Sydney Opera House twice in Australia and you know I, I would have considered myself lucky to just go there and see a show but being on stage at the Sydney Opera House sold out twice that is something I never expected in my life to happen to be happening. It's just That's super amazing. cool. 
And it's it's cool to be on tour with an orchestra because we play with local orchestras in every mm -hmm. city and every country, which means it's literally as live as it can get. Yeah. We don't get to rehearse with those guys. We right. meet up literally like when the sound check is happening. Mm -hmm. And we travel with Susie Sider, our conductor. Mm -hmm. And she's like taking care about the orchestra and rehearsals and everything. And then us as a band would join them for, what, 25 minutes? Yeah. And that's all you get. And then, boom, there's stage time. And then you play together with those fabulous people. And it's really a nice, warm, mighty, energetic feeling. It's different. You can't really explain yeah. it. It's, it's so different. And what is new with synthesis is that we... If I say Evanescence are on, on tour with an orchestra, what do you expect? Like, huge... Like, how do you mean? Like, what do you think the, the stage setup is like? You have the orchestra and what else? Like, how is the show? Big. I like. It's definitely big. But are they, would you, are you sat down? Like, are you just, are you involved in the orchestra somehow? Ah, here it comes. Because <laughs> everybody expects um, rock band plus symphony orchestra in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's are what you... literally everybody thinks it is. But it's not. Because the cool thing is, we are integrated like merged into the orchestra we'd stripped down all the heavy drums and all the heavy distorted guitars and um, I miss my angle amps and my angle caps on this tour but I'm playing the line 6 helix which we have here and yeah I'm just plugged into this wow. device of madness and awesomeness and we play digital electronical sometimes even dubstep kind of-ish sounds together with the orchestra. And uh, we also are on tour with a, with a programmer. His name is also Will Hunt. For those who know Evanescence, you know, our drummer is called Will Hunt, but our programmer and also producer of the album is also called Will Hunt. It was a funny thing and at the Canadian border because we all had to get out of the bus mm -hmm. and sit there and the guy collected all our passports. And then we were like, he was just naming like, okay, Jen, it's like, me, okay, step forward, passport, you're good to go. And then he said, William, we have three Williams. So three of them are like, yep, okay, William Hunt, and still two. And he was like, oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me. <laughs> so it was William Hunt the fourth, and right. William Hunt, I, I don't really remember, but it's really funny to have two guys with the same name. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, so like... In terms of orchestras, uh, yes. um, I used to play the viola, and so me I... too. No way, really? I tell you, best friends forever from this very moment on. Yes. Viola and, and like, wow! Yes. Did you start on violin and then move over, or did you no. play initially um, on viola? So I started first of all with piano, and yeah. then I realized mm, I want to rock. Yeah. So I so begged, viola. I begged my dad to that that time like, Dad, I want to play electric guitar, and my yeah. dad was kind of like, Oh no. Because he saw me playing Moonlight Sonata, so he could relax and listen to his daughter play Moonlight Sonata oh on piano. God. We have such a mirrored... I tell you, best friends yeah. forever. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started playing the guitar, and I started out with the electric guitar first, because I didn't want to go through all that classical stuff. Mm -hmm. I do now, because I think it's super cool to enlarge your skills with whatever. Yeah. Um, but I started with electric guitar and then also a little bit of bass, of course, a little bit of drums and then the vocals. And when I was 
13, 14, my music teacher back from high school, he was like, Jen, I need somebody who plays the viola in the orchestra, in the school orchestra. I pay your lessons, you learn, you play. And I was like, um, okay. So I tried it, but it's not really my thing. No, Same with the bass. Yeah. It wasn't my thing either, but but I enjoyed it while I played. But I, I started, you know, I did singing and piano very young and then uh, drums. violin. Never drums. Okay. Never drums. I play badly. Really Me too. badly. Me too. Um, Saxophone. No. No, okay. never done wind or, wind or brass. No? no? No. Okay. No, can't can't play those. Strings, yes. Okay, gotcha. Um, <laughs> but viola, I ended up studying it at university. Whoa, wow, look yeah. at you. Um, but I knew I wasn't going to be a, a classical musician because one, I wasn't hardworking enough because I was playing guitar all the time and teaching myself. Um, but also just because, you know, some of the people around me who were going off to do it at Royal Academy and they were just so amazing. Mm-hmm. Like... Amazing. And so being sat in string quartets with them, orchestras, you know, getting, there weren't that many viola players, so the competition was kind of... Of course. So I got into everything, which improved me even more. Um, But then once I graduated, I was like, this is probably the best I'm going to get. Now it's time to focus on the guitar, which is something I'd always wanted to do. So I had to, I had to buy my first guitar. Um, My, my parents did not want me to play it initially, but they were, you know, they were fine if I was going to save up for it myself and show some drive. Um, but Same the, here. But but and it's it's funny because like um, being a teenager with an electric guitar, it's it's a powerful instrument. Absolutely. Because instead of just slamming a door, you can just crank up the distortion. I had a Line mm-hmm. Six Spider Two. Oh God! Don't let Glenn hear that. <laughs> Jeez. But I was a teenager, so it's you know it was fine. I wasn't going on the road with it. Um, <laughs> but and it was just you know that. Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing to piss off my parents. <laughs> Which is all I wanted to do. <laughs> well, then the Lion Six Spider 2 is perfect for them. <laughs> <laughs> I know, they've kind of improved somewhat, haven't yes, they? Yes, they definitely did. And uh, the Helix is a very easy device to understand and to use. Like, I did another video with Nita together, and she was literally out front, like, standing outside waiting, and I was, like, programming everything super fast. And it works. It's perfect. I use it to switch. Uh, I use the four cable method. So I'm switching my angle amps with it. Wow. And I get all my different presets. And what I really um, like the most... I, I didn't even realize you could do that with that. Yes. And the coolest thing for me... It's nothing special, but the coolest thing for me on that one is... I call it the purple piano. It's a pitch, like a simple pitch. And you can literally lower your guitar with your tuning, I don't know, up to... I think the most extreme that I do is one and a half steps lower. Wow. And the thing is why I started using the Helix Line 6, uh, other way around, the Line 6 Helix, is um, when I first joined Evanescence in 2015, I didn't use any pedals. I'm super old school. I'm a fan of that guitar, tuner, tuner, amp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even have like a delay to make it. Mm-hmm. easier to play guitar you know mm-hmm. plus angle amps are reacting super fast they're like right in your face so if you fuck up you will hear it mm-hmm. so I let some other guitar players play my setup and they were like it's impossible to play on that it's so tough to play mm-hmm. and you really need to focus a lot on, on your tone on everything because it's like it's right there and there's yeah. no oh look at me I'm a nice delay I make everything nice you know what I mean yeah so 
I came up to Evanescence with that kind of attitude and they were like, oh, no, 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 you need a chorus pedal. No, 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 you need a flanger. <laughs> and I, after the end of the first day of rehearsal, I had, I don't know, it was massive. There were so many paddles. And I remember we have this one song called The Change where I calculated how many pedals I would have to hit at the same time. And it would have been like, I don't know, four or five pedals all at the same time. And I I suck at the pedal dance. I do. <laughs> and it's impossible. I, it's just like, how, how am I going to do but, this? Yeah. Like jump on top of them. Like, ah! <clears throat> and um, then I talked to my Line 6 guys and I was like, hey guys, help me out. I need something. Mm -hmm. So uh, they provided me this incredible unit and uh, I can program everything and I just have one little knob to step on and that's it and I'm really happy with it. And back to the purple piano. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning we had, I think it was something between 9 and 11 guitars on tour. That is a lot of wood. It's a lot of and wood. And it's all different tunings, you know. We play a lot of 7 string and baritones as well. Mm -hmm. I had like a drop baritone, a uh, standard baritone, then half step lower baritone, um, 7 string drop, one step lower. It's incredible. We, we had so many different tunings. And... Um, at one point I was like, I don't want this. This is too much. I, I don't want to run to my guitar tech and change guitars after every song. Mm -hmm. So that little thing can um, have a so-called simple pitch. That's the purple color here. It's Amazing. purple and perfect. That's what I like to call it. And I can lower just my guitar. So it's the same string tension, which is a little bit confusing in the beginning because it sounds lower and you fret the note and this is clearly a G, but no, it's not. It's a G flat now, like what? Um, yeah. But it made my guitar collection on tour like increase to three, <laughs> which is so good. Yeah. And I can play a lot of it's more songs on one guitar instead of changing the whole time. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. why I like this device the most. It can do a lot of incredible things. Uh, line six, please, next unit. Um, Please try to make a coffee brewer or something inside. That would be awesome. <laughs> so I can have a tube to my microphone maybe and drink some coffee. I think they'd probably be able to do it that as well. That would be hilarious. Yes, but besides that, it can do everything. And I'm really happy with that. Amazing. And so this is your main guitar, right? This is the so-called guitar which you are looking for years. Mm -hmm. And you hear other people go like, Oh, you know, that's totally my guitar. And I was always playing guitars and I was like, yeah, that's a good guitar. But I never really understood the feeling that they described mm -hmm. until I grabbed this one. Mm -hmm. um, I know it's a Steve Vai signature model. It's a jam, clearly, blue yeah. floral pattern um, from the newer version. And um, actually it's standard. Everything is standard except one little thing. So um, I equipped that guitar with the so-called Terminator kit um, by Matt Hatter Guitar Products. Right. They do rewire everything in here. I'm not a technical guy, so I don't really know what exactly they did. But to make a long story short, I've got a push-pull pody here. Great. And that turns my 5-switch into a 10-switch. I literally have a mid-boost inside of my guitar. So if we, for example, go like... And that is awesome because for every channel, especially in the studio, you get a lot more mid frequencies and you can like do doubling guitars and, and double tracks and just have more 
optional frequencies. That's really a nice thing. Except that everything is standard. I only have, I don't know if you can see it in the back. Like I invented these little tubes because they usually come equipped with those little rubber, I don't know, they look shaped like a, like a C. Yeah. And as soon as you go like on your, I like to use my whammy bar a lot. And if I go like this, whoa, um, those springs in the back, they move a lot and they would immediately, those little rubber things, they fall out. So I'm like, okay, I need a, like a tube that goes around it and stays there and it's perfect. And beside that, everything is and still, still in tune. You want to do it? Come on. I, well, I've never ever Come even on, you like, can do it. like, how should I do it? Just, just, just push it actually, down. Like push it down all the way. Yeah. Come on. But like, oh my Isn't God. Isn't that awesome? That's mad. <laughs> like I obviously I. And the coolest thing is. <laughs> Tune. Wow. <laughs> Honestly, like that's amazing. So well, I think thank you very much. And another modification. Oh. I have Reggie Carson sign it. <laughs> I think we're gonna have to end there because I'm like that's amazing. That's amazing. What a cool guitar and Thank you very much for joining me You're on so this Tuesday Talks. It's so nice to meet you. And it's so funny how our like, lives have sort of mirrored a little bit. Best friend Obviously. forever, I tell you. Seriously, what a nice human being. Um, and uh, last but not least, another incredible session player legend. Like, you just need to Google Tim Pierce. If you don't know of him already, he has played on everyone's records. Like... Oh my god. Okay, so this was filmed at NAM, um, and I've just taken the audio from it. So again, forgive the sound quality. I know I've made enough apologies already. So here is my interview with Tim Pierce. So tell me about your relationship with Paul Reed Smith. Uh, I met Paul about 10 years ago and I invited him to a session I was doing and he brought me a couple of guitars that one of which is, is my favorite guitar today. And he actually was trying to work his guitars into the L.A. session scene, and he chose me as maybe uh, a prospect, and I immediately took to his guitars. Yeah. We become friends. I play his guitars all the time. I use his guitars on YouTube all the time. Yeah. I use his guitars on sessions all the time. Mm -hmm. And we're friends, you know? We're, it's, it's nice. I like yeah. knowing Paul. That's amazing. So is this the guitar that you're talking about? No, actually the guitar, I didn't bring it, but this is one that I played at the Experience Festival last July on stage, okay. and they actually haven't sold it yet, so I had them bring it out for me it's to use. beautiful. It's pretty, isn't it? Yeah, black with P90s. It has a really fat neck. I, really, yeah. I love it. I love okay. it. But I have no. I have. To, I have a, a large number of his guitars at home. You know, you can see them on my channel. Yeah. Different ones. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your channel. Okay. Because when I was just starting out, um, your videos were recommended, and you know, obviously, I was searching for guitar things, and it's so educational and so interesting to see your interviews too, and who you get on. Um, how did you start it? Okay. So I've been a session musician in LA for a very long time, and I thought to myself. What am I going to do next? Mm -hmm. So nine years ago, I saw some people on YouTube that I really admired. Marty Schwartz, um, yeah. Scott Devine, Scott's Bass Lessons, uh, yes. Mike Johnson, uh, Mike Strum Lessons, a bunch of other people. And I thought, oh my, 
this is what I'm going to do. So I, I was really awkward with the camera for a couple of years. And then I started just doing content on YouTube and building an audience on YouTube just to build an audience. And that may have been in about 2013. And then I, three years ago, I started a monetized website where I offer education for people who want to pay by the year, by the month. And I'm up to over 100 hours of lessons in my mat, what I call my master class. Yeah. But the YouTube thing is the, the joy of it because that's, I do a free YouTube video every week. Yeah. I should do more. I wish I could do more, but I'm also still a session musician. I, yeah. I do a lot of records still. I did a lot of records this year. So constantly dancing between being a session player and and making you know free videos for YouTube doing Instagram posts and then making content for my you know premium guys you know and girls you know, so. yeah it's it's a lot of work and as you know it, <laughs> no matter what you give it it wants more and you just get used to it right after a while you just get used to it I know yeah. well this is probably going to be episode 101 oh congratulations Tuesday talks oh that's fantastic it's, um, yeah it's it's mad to just think that we've managed to keep up this thing going every week for however long and yeah um, getting a new skill set too I think it's really important for musicians to sometimes yeah. talk on camera and yeah. I think it's really interesting coming from a session uh, perspective and having that because otherwise you are just behind the scenes quite a lot of the time and yeah. you don't have your own voice whereas have, have you found that you've gotten more work sometimes because of the YouTube videos well the thing is I'm really not interested in more session work um, I, I, you don't need it <laughs> well in, in part because I like this so much more because I feel like I'm an artist for the first time yes. so I do sessions with my favorite clients part of being a session musician is you have to work for everybody and I, I actually you're sometimes working with people who are not that easy to work with or it's not your favorite situation so the, the luxury for me now at this age and having a kind of a, a web business is that I do sessions with people that I love and they're like family to me and I don't do every session anymore so I do get some work from it but more than that I get to grow my own business, yeah. which I'm sure you're feeling now too. You're actually growing something that's yours. And the greatest thing about it is that instead of making somebody else's dream come true and sitting in the background, mm -hmm. now I get to make my dream come true. As humble as it's going to be, doesn't matter. It's, I get to be an artist. And at this, for me at this age, I never expected it. Mm -hmm. Very grateful. Can you tell us about the artists that you do choose to work with now and your relationships with them? Sure. Like this last year, the records I did, I did a Barbra Streisand record, a Sublime record, Kelly Clarkson, and Ann Wilson from Heart. Uh, there may have been one I forgot too. But So what happens is um, I've been in the game so long that a lot of the people I work with, I've worked with forever. Like the band Sublime is a producer named Rob Cavallo. Mm -hmm. And with Rob, I did the Goo Goo Dolls and all kinds of other people but but he's Rob's famous for doing all Green Day's biggest records uh -huh. and so Rob when he calls me I know him really well I mean we've had so much you know I could probably I don't drink anymore but I could show up drunk and he would still hire me the next time you know he's, he's kind of like family to me at this point so someone like that when he asks me to come work with a band like Sublime I know 
It's going to be fun. He's going to be supportive. We're going to solve every problem quickly, and we're just going to get the music done super quick. And it was super quick with them. Or with like Barbara Streisand, it's, uh, he was, she was produced by a guy named Walter Afanasev. They call him Walter A., and he was a super producer in the 90s. And he's just kind of a musical genius. And so these are people that are comfortable that I know. It's just going to be really, really great. With Ann Wilson, it was, um, I forget her producer's name, but her original producer produced that record. The guy who produced all the heart songs. So a lot of these guys are veterans that I've known for a long time. So. Yeah. Well, I guess, obviously, you had a reputation before any of the YouTube stuff, but what I found from having it is that people hire you or, or want to work with you because they, they know exactly how you work already. Right. Rather than you coming in yeah. as a you know new face and stuff, and them trying to mold you to what they want, it's yeah. like they they choose you because they know what yeah. they're going to get. Yeah, and that's very interesting, and I think that's super exciting about any musician on YouTube. Well, a, a musician when you work with somebody, the first like forty five minutes are crucial, but once you actually bond, and I'm sure yeah. you've experienced this, once you play with somebody the first time. Mm -hmm. You have this bond for life. Yeah, you really do. I mean, yeah. it, it. It. You can trust them really forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. So, I will say we are at the Nam show, as it's very obvious. We have a soundtrack. <laughs> we have a soundtrack. Legitimate backing music. Yeah. Um, but what are your plans for Nam this year? How long are you staying? Are you staying the whole four days? Well, yeah. This is my biggest Nam ever, and I only mean that is because I, I actually am in a hotel room staying down here, and I'm going to be here great. every day. So, I want to meet YouTubers. I, I want to see the YouTubers I already know. I already um, did a jam with Robert Baker. Great. And I ran into David Wallman. And then Rick Beato was at my house filming a couple of days ago. And I'm walking around with Rick introducing him to like guitar builders and Amazing. amp builders. And for me, it's the greatest opportunity to meet all these online people such as yourself. Yeah, I you know. know. This yeah. is the first time we've met and it's an honor. Um, Great for me too. Really exciting. That's very exciting that Nam has become this uh, sort of video um, platform as yes. well for musicians yes. and obviously it was literally in this booth two years ago that the John Mayer press conference happened and that kind of launched my whole YouTube thing. Awesome. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. Massive thanks to PRS for letting us do this interview. And yeah, thank, thank you, you so much for your time. Thank you. All right. Okay, that is a wrap on this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in again. And yeah, Primrose is out this Friday. So be ready to um, save it on Spotify, add it to playlists, download it on iTunes. If you are a Patreon supporter, it will be there for your downloading uh, ability. <laughs> Does that even make sense? Free download, basically. Um, and yeah, the artwork was done by this amazing artist called Nick Mack, who is also uh, has also just finished the artwork for the Lone Wolf EP. And yes, we need a code word. A code word to show that you've been listening to the podcast and you have made it to the end. This is a super long episode, so really, really appreciate you for getting this far. Um, but I want you to type in the comments saying that you want a coffee at Primrose Cafe, because uh, that is what the song is about. It's not actually about the flower. There is a little coffee shop in Clifton in Bristol called the Primrose Cafe. And I talk about the archway that just leads into there, like calling home. So uh, I want a coffee at Primrose Cafe. <laughs> And yeah, that will be out in the world and there'll be a, a performance video kind of music video thing accompanying it on Saturday too. So be sure to check that out. 
And yes, I am aware that I've been sent a few lovely questions. Um, I am going to save them up for a Q&A episode. So thank you. Uh, if you have any audio questions you want to ask, um, not audio questions, I mean like uh, questions via voice memo, um, that would be great. Send them to maryspenderpodcast at gmail.com. But otherwise, thank you very much for listening and I will see you next week. <laughs>